We want to welcome everyone to our morning service here at the Boonville Church of Christ. You know, this is a very special day for us because tonight will be our Northeast night and we'll be expecting a lot of visitors with us tonight. And we hope that you're making plans to be here with us tonight and enjoy the fellowship meal that we will all have together. If you would, please uh, find the friendship register in the pew in front of you and pass it down the aisle so we can have a record of everyone's attendance this morning. We come together this morning to worship the Lord. Let's begin our time together in prayer. Our Father, thank you for all of the many blessings that you bestowed upon us. And our Father, we pray that you will be with us in all of our efforts to reach out to this community to spread the word of Jesus and the, and the good news that he came to this earth and he died for our sins and he rose again. Be with us as we worship this morning. Help us to put aside all of the cares of this world and to focus our attention on the things that are important for an eternity. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll sing out this morning. How great the chasm that lay between us.
pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you for another beautiful day you blessed us with. We thank you for an opportunity we have to gather together and worship you this morning. I ask that our minds be focused on growing close to you, God, and help us maybe to leave here today with something that we can use and apply in our lives to live better Christian lives for you. That's what you ask with um, those that are on the extensive prayer list that we have, Lord, and continue to try to be with them and all the help they need. Please continue to be with the elders of our congregation, help them to continue to make decisions that will lead us in the right direction as a congregation. Please with our military that looks over us, Lord, and protects us and help us always try to remember to put you first in everything we do and walk a good Christian life. Thank you for the many blessings that you have blessed us with and most of all, just thank you for your son who you sent to die that cruel death on the cross for sinners like us, Lord, that we may have a chance for home in heaven one day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'd like to use your hymnals. Uh, Fountain Free will be our song of invitation. It is 909. There's a Fountain Free. The song before our lesson is a new song. Would you please stand with me to sing this together, the new song. Sweetest song I ever heard ever was a song made 
Scripture reading this morning will come from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Good morning to everyone. Wow, that was great, Jeremy. Thank you for leading us in those songs. And I don't know, it just seems like those are high-octane songs. Love that. Thank you for your participation in it. And just, I don't know, that thing that Stephen taught me about filling up before we get here so that we have a bucket full to empty in our praise of God. Did you do that today? I vouch for you. I believe that you did. And we're going to continue that. I hope so. We're going to be studying from God's Word today. We're going to launch from that passage and we'll be spending some time there uh, breaking some pieces from it but we'll also be incorporating some other things that God has said on this subject of being a new creation. Oh, I just, I just can't wait to be able to share some things with you today. But before we start that, there's just more rejoicing to do. Martha Eaton is here today. Martha, just raise your hand. I'm not going to make her stand up, although, although... She walked in here on her own volition. And we are just, Martha, we are thrilled. We have seen God's answer to so many prayers for so long. And at this stage in the game, she is making progress every day. Aren't we thankful to God for that? It is such a blessing. And I know that there are many others who are afflicted in some ways But just let that be a testament to what God can do. We have a prayer request today. And it was Bo who gave this to me. He has a nephew, Chris Cochran. He is in his 30s, but he had a stroke on Friday. He is in Birmingham in the hospital. So there is rejoicing for Martha and there is hope that God will hear our prayer and bless the Cochran family, especially Chris. We're also going to pray that God will bless all of us in this period of worship. I hope you think of it that way because that's how the Bible describes it. We've been singing with all of our hearts and we've been praying to God, and later in our time together, we'll partake of the Lord's Supper and we will give. But in this period, we're doing something that's a little unusual because while it kind of takes the form of a Bible study, for us it's really more than that. This is another one of those vehicles that we can use in order to glorify God. And that's my intention, to help us do just that in our study of God's Word today. 
So before we start, let's, let's pray to God that he'll bless these that we've considered and that he'll be with us as we're worshiping in this period. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for this first day of the week that we can come here and express ourselves through these avenues of worship. And I pray, Father, that everything that we have done has been an acceptable offering to you. You know our hearts. Lord, I just pray our hearts are right in this moment. I pray, Father, that you will bless those who are sick. There's so many that are afflicted that we know of in this congregation. But today we're thinking about two. We're thinking about Chris Cochran, who has experienced the stroke at such a young age. And Father, we are praying that whatever treatment is applied, that it'll be completely successful, that he'll get through this particular event and then receive whatever kind of instruction or help that will be necessary to avoid another. And Lord, we rejoice today that Martha Eaton's able to be with us. She has been on our tongues for months and months. And it just is such a tribute to you and to your answering of our prayers that she's here. We're thankful, Lord, that it was your will that she be here today. We pray, Father, that in our experience in worship today, that all these things, as we've already participated have been acceptable, but now, Lord, is a trying time because it requires our focus and our meditation, and there are a lot of things that can distract us. So I pray, Lord, you'll help us be very intentional in our worship today as we open your word. And I pray, Lord, you'll help to guide my words. I can say exactly what's true in reference to your holy word. And I pray for those who hear that these words will make the impact on them that you intend for it to today. Thank you for all that you'll accomplish through it. Help me to not get in the way of your work through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's something I believe is absolutely true. Whether you realize it or not, eventually, eventually, you... And most everybody else will come to realize that sinning, being involved in sinful things, is, well, at the very least, it is a total waste of your time, your effort. It is a waste of your life to be involved in those things. There is a song that we sing. We didn't sing it today. I'm not even sure if it's in the book. But it starts this way. It says, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Okay, that sentiment expresses a little bit of ignorance on the part of the speaker, doesn't it? I have come to realize, in effect, that I spent years in vanity and pride. Because I didn't know. 
I was unaware. I was in ignorance. I realized that that life I lived was a waste. You know, vanity, pride. Years of that. If that's not enough, those of you who study Scripture, you've probably at some point either studied through the book of Ecclesiastes or at least you were interested in what it had to say and you read it. It wasn't a very long read, only 12 chapters. But the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, and he was a king, and he had tremendous resources, richer than anybody else, and had a lot of leisure time. And so being the wise man that he was, and not just wanting to accept people's words for it, he wanted to find out if it was possible to satisfy one's self in particular to satisfy these various fleshly lusts, to truly be happy in that. He actually starts the book in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2 in saying, Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. In verse 14, he says, It's like grasping for the wind. And then... In the very last chapter, chapter 12 and verse 8, he said it again, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. If, if our great goal in life is just to satisfy some need that we perceive in our life, Solomon says, don't, here's that word again, don't waste your time. I've tried it all. I had the resources to try it in a way that you could not. And I am telling you that in the lifetime of experiences, I have concluded that all of that is vanity. It is an absolute waste of time. Even if, though, you don't know that song that I mentioned, even if you haven't studied through Ecclesiastes and read what Solomon went through, it's probable that at some point in your life, if you've been involved in a pattern of sin, at some place maybe you came to your senses or something sparked a, kind of a devoted thought in your mind, and in that moment right there, you said to yourself, boy, I wish I could go back and change that. Maybe even something like, I wish I could live my life over again. This text to me is astounding. Because it gives us the means, or at least it gives the suggestion that through Jesus Christ, things can be different. If anyone, and that would be all of us and those outside these walls, everybody fits the bill. If Anyone is in Christ. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, 
All things have become new. Here's something I want you to put in your mind right now. Just kind of carry it along with you as we study together. Because I'm going to talk about some new things. I'm going to talk about new opportunities, new realities, even new images. But before we do that, just reflect for a moment. I want you to realize that there isn't anything that you can do to change your beginning. We don't have a time machine that we can enter into and flip the switch and go back to that moment when things really got off the rails. We can't do that. So I can't promise you that in Christ you'll be able to go back and change the beginning. Those events and those actions, they've already happened. But what I can promise you is that starting right here, you can change the ending. Things can turn out very different for you in Jesus Christ. Well, one thing we know is that in Jesus Christ there is an absolute new possibility. New opportunities abound all around us. A new possibility. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Just looking at the experience of people, and we were talking about sin and action in sin and people wasting their time, you realize that there are at least two different kinds of people in the world. I'm generally speaking. There are those who are religiously minded in sin and those who are non-religious who are in sin. Those people can be lost, a religious person and a non-religious person. Wait, what do you mean? Well, let's, let's get first with the obvious. A non-religious person, a person who doesn't know anything about God, absolutely can be lost. And they're walking around all the time. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7-9 to 9, talks about the Lord returning. He's coming with angels in flaming fire. And He's taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there they are. No attention to God and no attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, Ken, there might be some religiously minded people who have some kind of religion that doesn't involve, per se, a God. And so, you know, in their religious activity, maybe that... I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the intentional effort to, to not be influenced by religious things. A life that says, I, I don't want to know God. And don't, don't bore me, don't, don't insult me with your doctrine about salvation. I'm good, I'm fine. A non-religious person like that, lost. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, that text says that without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Kind of the same sentiment to know God and to know the gospel, which results in the blessings that come in obedience to the gospel. God blesses through that. Okay, a person who, who refuses to accept the reality or the truth about God 
And the person who refuses the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, those people, we would probably say, most of us obviously can, they're on the outside. They are lost people. But when you mention that there are lost non-religious people and there are also lost religious people, somehow or other that, that doesn't quite make sense. Except that even the Bible describes a circumstance like that. And for the Bible, I would say pretty well contemporary because it was a first century setting. This is when the gospel was going to be preached for the first time. In Acts chapter 2 verse 5, when the scripture is describing those people who are going to hear the gospel for the first time, they are described as being devout men from every nation under heaven. Did you notice that? Devout men. Devout men, in other words, they were devoted. What are they devoted to? Well, these are Jews who have come to Jerusalem for another religious observance, observance the, the day of Pentecost. So these people are devout in the sense that they're religiously devout. But what we find out is that they were lost. And in fact, they are accused as being those people who had taken the Son of God, had had crucified Him in verse 23. Okay, so it is possible to have non-religious and even religious people of some sorts in a lost category. I, I believe that's generally true, but we can even break it down a little bit further, and that is that there are some people who are religious who are also lost. The Bible talks about those who are in religious error. That is, they don't teach the truth. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10, 11, and 12, he describes those religious lost people who are mishandling the Word of God as being people who, number one, did not love the truth, and number two, did not believe the truth. But what they desired, the pleasure that they found, actually were in the things of unrighteousness. That seems kind of foreign to our thinking, but really when John records Jesus' address to many of those churches in the book of Revelation, first three, cha first three chapters, you've got a bunch of churches that had forgotten their first love. They weren't holding to the truth anymore. They were being influenced by false doctrines. The church was under assault. So Paul's writing to these Thessalonians who themselves had been converted out of idolatry, and he says, watch out for that. There are people among you, even quote-unquote religious folks, who are in error. The reason they're in error is because they don't love the truth. They don't believe it. They'd rather be unrighteous. And then, of course, there's the warning that Paul gives the, to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. He says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another, but there be some who pervert the gospel of Christ. But whether we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that which we have preached you, let him be accursed. As I said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. If there is a gospel 
that is being presented that's different from that which is presented in the Scriptures, if it's been adulterated in some way, then he, he doesn't say, well, you know, just kind of take that and spit out the bad parts. No, he says that is under the curse of God. Here are some people presenting themselves as godly vessels who are carrying a corrupted gospel. That is religious error. And he says they are under the curse of God. They're lost. And then, I don't know how else to say it other than to say there are those, obviously, in that camp who are intentionally going about hanging on to error and teaching it. And then there are those who, the Scripture says they're religious to begin with, but they have wandered away from the truth. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. If anyone wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way has saved a soul from death and covered a multitude of sin. You see what happened there? The person that had wandered away, where were they? Well, they were in sin. And thankfully, someone who loved them enough to see the error of their way as they have wandered or the, if they have slipped away, they went after them to take them out of that condition of sin and bring them back. But my point there is, is that it's possible to, again, be that religious, spiritually-minded person who just, just slowly wanders from the truth as one of those sheep that wandered away from the sheepfold. That's the idea. So whether it is a case of somebody out there who just doesn't care about God at all, or within the religious camp they are involved in error, or they just wander away from the truth, I'm just telling you that there are a lot of people out there, you know, out there, certainly not here, but out there, who are in a lost condition. What I want you to know is, that God doesn't want them to stay there. God doesn't want a person who's lost to stay lost. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God's desire is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Or 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Or, I think about what Jesus had to say concerning these kinds of things and our devotion to Him and staying with Him. You know, the new possibility. I, if I want to be with Jesus, then He said, I've got to take inventory. Matthew 16, 24, 25, 26. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow with me. For he who loses his life will save it. He who saves his life for my sake will find it. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Those are excellent questions, right? Something that people oftentimes just do not weigh in the moment. So Jesus is asking, what's it going to be? And the answer is, well, if, if there's going to be a new creation then I've got to latch on to the new possibility. How is that going to be? Is it going to be because I am socially correct? 
before the Lord? Is that going to make the difference? Or is it because I'm going to be a part of the right political party? Will that do it? Will it be because I make a certain amount of money? If I have enough wealth, will that impress God? Will that make me okay? Or how about my intellect? If I go to uh, enough enough schooling, if I get a great enough education, if I go to the right school, will that make a difference? How about my religious upbringing? Does that bear into it? I mean, in this moment right now, and I'm making a decision of where I'm going from here, does all of that bear on it? Actually, the answer would be no. If you go back a couple of verses from our text, at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15, you find out that what is required is that we no longer live for ourselves, but for Him who died for us and rose again. Did you hear that? The new possibility, the new life that I so much want to have, of setting the record right, of of putting behind me my past and reaching forward to something new is going to require emptying myself of myself. The pollution of my own desires that, that lead me in directions that my spirit just doesn't want to go. I'm no longer going to live for Ken... I'm going to live for Jesus. He died for me, and He rose again. And in that are two things. Number one, He died for me, and He can wash my sins away. But number two, because He rose, I can have eternal life. Not just this life now, with all of its faults and its temptations, but for eternal life with God forever and ever. That's a new possibility. But there is also not just the possibility, but there is a new reality for you and me. Now watch this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Stop right there. In Christ, he is. Not in something else. Not in some substitute that kind of looks like that, but it's in Christ that He is, that you are, that I am. I've noticed that with God, throughout history, it was important for some people at some times to be in the right place at the right time. You notice that? A God-ordained place and a God-specified time. I'll give you a couple examples. One is during the time of Noah. During the time of Noah, you know where you better be when the rain starts falling? You had better be in that ark. Very few. In fact, only eight souls were saved in that ark. That's a pity. Having all that warning, but did not believe God through His messenger Noah. And those who were not in that ark, they perished. There was Moses, okay, more famous and lots more people. And Moses is there. He is demanding on God's behalf that Pharaoh let his people go. And Pharaoh refuses nine times. The tenth time is going to be a plague that is going to result in the death of the firstborn. Except for those who are residing in houses 
whereupon blood has been placed on the doorposts and the lintel. If you are in the house that is washed with the blood, you will be saved. Not one Israelite dies because they followed the prescription of God. Hallelujah. But everybody outside of those houses experienced unbelievable trauma and grief in the death, the unnecessary death of the firstborn. And so now in this time for us, the place that God says is the safe place is in Christ. Or you can by extension say in the church because it's interesting that everything that results in me being in Christ is also the very same thing that results in me being in the church. And what we discover in our study of Scripture is that Christ and His church are permanently bound together. He is the head and she, the church, is the body. And so they come together in that way. Uh, for instance, when, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, he writes to them and he identifies them as the church of God that is in Corinth. And then he says, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Do you see that? You are the church. Oh, you also are the sanctified in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ. You are in the church. In fact, we often mentioned Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, after all of that sermonizing and all of that response of people who believed that they, they were lost because of their sins, that they had crucified the Son of God, and that they could have their sins washed away in the blood of Jesus. Repentance and baptism. In response to that, the very last verse of that chapter says that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Those who were saved, those who were in Christ, were also added to the church. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, He's put all things under His feet and given Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fills all in all. The fullness of Him is in the body. Where do we find Jesus? We say, well, we read about Him in the Scripture there. Uh, we, we know that He is watching over us. He is heaven. Heaven is His home. He's coming to receive. Yes, all of that, but His embodiment, who He is, resides right here with us. We are His fullness, and we ought to act like that. But don't miss that the church and the Christ, they're together. So when I'm in Christ, I'm... I'm in the church. Ephesians chapter 5 describes the beauty that exists between Christ and His church. Uh, beginning there uh, again at verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. It's also Christ is the head of the church. And He is the Savior of the body. Christ is the Savior of the body. Whose body? His body. What is that body? The body is the church. So when I'm in Jesus Christ and I'm in the church, then I am enjoying something that most people, well, I don't know, they, they're not grasping or they're not taking advantage of. Here is salvation. If I can just have my sins washed away, if I can lay hold of being in Christ, then I will be, according to our text, I will be a new creation a new reality for you and for me. 
But there is also a new image. Okay, what do you mean by, by image? Well, okay, so there's the possibility if I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. And then the reality sinks in. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait, stop. Don't go so fast. I'm in Christ. That's why I am that, that new creation. I'm in Him. But notice what He says now. Take, take that to the fullest extent. What has happened here? Well, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The Bible talks about self-image. It does. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 7 says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You know, I, I used to think when I read passages like that, that that really had to do with kind of like the pride of man. You know, so the way he acts really is rooted in his heart. And of course, that, that is true. I mean, I, I can know a lot about you by your fruits. You just put that out there. I can read that. It's not always totally accurate, but th the idea is that your heart, your heart's not going to lie about it. But, you know, and I was thinking about this new creation thing here in our text. I got a whole new perspective on what's being said right here. Old things have passed away as I become this new creation. Behold, all things have become new. Now, I don't, I don't know how, how you do. There is such a thing as self-talk. And you say, Ken, you know, people talk to themselves, they're crazy. No, they're not. No, they're not. You're looking at one. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Sometimes uh, I will, we, we have one of those little camera doorbells. And so... Sometimes, you know, it will ring as I'm approaching it. Well, if you're like me, you like to see what that looked like. And many, many times, I didn't know it in the moment, but as I'm watching that ring account of my walk toward the house, I hear myself mumbling. And I'm like, who's he talking to? And you know who he's talking to? He's talking to himself. What was he talking about? I'm kind of listening in there. Wait a second, why would I need to do that? I'm me, right? All of us self-talk. Now, whether you do that, whether you do that verbally like I do, you just like to hear it, or whether you're doing it in your head, all of us are talking to ourselves a lot. And what you're saying. That's who you are. That's really what you think of yourself. I'm not talking about when you talk to somebody else about yourself. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it's almost like you're reading your resume to them. You talk to them about this great job you've got or where you did this, or where you did that. Oh, you should have gone with us on our vacation. It was amazing. You know, just, just those times when you talk about yourself to others and you just, man, you make it a glowing, beautiful picture. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those moments when you are all by yourself. 
Or maybe you are in a conversation and you are laying it down pretty thick, but in the back of your mind, there is something going, no, 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 that is wrong. What is your self-talk like? What are you telling yourself that you are or how you are doing? Talked to a lot of people coming through the doors this morning. I said, how are you? Great, good, wonderful. Probably in the back of the mind, there's a list of things that would deny that fact that says that is not true. But in those moments when you are assessing yourself, when you're wrestling with your past, when you're thinking about the things you did that you wish you hadn't done, what are you saying to yourself? Do you say in those private moments, I'm a failure. I'm a sinner. I am loathsome. I can't hardly look myself in the mirror. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm lost. Do you say things like that to yourself? How could I? What's wrong with me? If that's how you treat yourself, I have got good news for you today. And that is every one of those things that prompts you to beat yourself up like that, not just every day. No, let's, let's not make it like that happens like once a day when I make the assessment. I'm talking about all day long, you are hounding yourself about what a miserable failure you are as a Christian. If that's how you feel, or if you, you talk about being outside of God, and so much of you wants to be a child of God, but you've just got these issues, and they just keep coming up, and you keep telling yourself, you're not worthy. I can't obey the gospel. He would never forgive me. If that's how you feel, I have got such, such, good news for you today. Old things in Jesus Christ have passed away. That isn't just the old law being put on the rails and sent out as obsolete. I'm talking about the sins that you have committed, the life that you so much wish you could undo or relive. That is put on the rails and sent far away. In Christ, all things have passed away. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, well, it starts off kind of rough. Maybe you can relate. Beginning in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. They were terrible sinners. They woke up every day and they said, I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm corrupted. I'm evil. I'm a cheat. I'm a liar. But when they were sanctified and justified, when they had their sins washed away, when they came into Jesus Christ, when He added them to the church, old things passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Everything that had been an affront, 
Everything that was an accuser had been sent away. And now I can live for Jesus. Listen, if you are a child of God, there is absolutely no reason in this world for you to be beating yourself up unless somehow or other that tremendous privilege and benefit of having become a child of God was soiled by your attempt to drag up that old person that had been put in the grave. Can you imagine? Burying someone and then going back and digging them up? Why would we do that spiritually? Such has been the case. If that has happened, we need forgiveness of that. We need to enjoy enjoy freedom from our own self-accusation. We need to make these things right with God. In order to be right with the Lord, I think about what happened trailing the very next verse from our text. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. He says that He, speaking of God, has reconciled us to Him through Jesus Christ. Wow. I can be in a reconciled relationship with Jesus. If you're a child of God, you've enjoyed that already. You need to get back into that, right? You need to have those accusations set aside. 1 John chapter 1 reminds us that if we will confess our sins, He'll be faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That blood will keep washing us. We've got to be walking in the light. I'm wondering for the rest of us, are you even, are you even in Christ? Being in Christ will make you a new creation. All of those sins of the past, all those things that you wish you could change will be washed away. You'll come up a child of God, freed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus died so that your sins could be forgiven. This moment affords you an opportunity to be cleansed from all that holds you back. If you're a child of God and you've committed sin that has soiled that relationship, then you need to repent. Listen, there's nothing that you can do to go back and change your beginning. You can't do that. But what you can do today, starting right here, is change the ending. Will you change your ending today? If you need to respond, why don't you come while we stand together and sing. There's a fountain free, it is for you and me. Let us sing so praise to its free.
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my soul unto thee, O Lord? Do I lift up my soul?
forward to take of the Lord's Supper this morning. If you're in need of an emblem, if you will, if you'll raise your hand, the ushers will take care of you at this time. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we have an opportunity today to come and worship you and sing songs of praise for you, and we're so thankful for that. Father, as part of our worship to you and recognition of you, we're commanded that we come and partake of the bread of life that represents Christ's body that hung on the cross. Father, as we partake of this loaf this morning, help our minds go back to the suffering that Christ did all for us on the cruel cross and help us to do this in a manner that's humbling and pleasing unto you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Fathers, we partake of this cup, the fruit of the vine that represents the Christ's blood that was shed on the cross that we all may have forgiveness of our sins and an opportunity of home in heaven with thee one day. Fathers, we partake of this cup. Please help us to do this in a manner that will be pleasing unto you and forgive us for we have failed thee. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Separate and apart, we have an opportunity to give back uh, a portion that we've earned. There are several ways listed on the screen above me. There's boxes back in, in the back of the auditorium. Uh, when you have an opportunity to do that, if you will, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many wonderful blessings in life that you've bestowed upon each and every one of us. Father, we're so thankful for our, our source of income, our means to work, and our ability to work. Fathers, we have an opportunity to give back a portion of that we've earned to spread your word and to teach your gospel to others. Father, we ask that we all do this in a cheerful and humble manner. In Christ's name I pray, amen. One moment of your time to share with you an extraordinary opportunity. It resides in this little bag right here. It's a resealable bag. Amazing. The stuff in there isn't just going to slide around and fall out into your car. So when you open this, oh, by the way, it has this beautiful sticker that says, Saving the world one soul at a time. Have you heard that before? You've heard me say that. We're going to reach this world by saving what? One soul at a time. And here's how we're going to do that. The simplest thing in the world, this little bag right here, is for one of your friends. Yeah, a gift. What's in the bag, Ken, you ask? Well, let's see. Ooh, we have one of our pins. It says Boonville Church of Christ. Okay, yep. Here also is a beautiful little folder that has information about the church and you know, there's a little pictures you get on Facebook. This is a real life one. It has a scripture and a beautiful picture. Just, you know, put this on your fridge, friend. It has a stamp self-addressed envelope in it. 
It has information about what would happen if they were to visit the church here. And then the biggest treat of all is what I left for last. It has within it a Bible correspondence course. Okay, so here's what you do with this bag. You take this beautiful bag that's already sealed that won't slide around and lose its contents in your car, and you're going to find one of your friends, and you're going to say something like, Hello, friend. I was at church today, and we had these cute little bags, and people said, Oh, just take them. You can have them for your friends. The first person that I thought of was you. And so I just wanted to share this with you. I hope you enjoy it. And they'll open this bag up and they'll see that, wow, there's all those neat little things and a Bible correspondence course. What in the world is that? They'll happen to look at it and say, wait a minute, this won't take very long. I'll do this and send it in. Bingo! Then you have taken advantage of an opportunity that was so simple. Now here's what you do. You make the walk to the foyer. There's a big table there with a hundred of these. I'm sorry that... There are only a hundred because I'm pretty sure, and nod your head this way, just go ahead and tell me. I'm pretty sure that that hundred's going to go boom, just like that. We'll make some more, but what we'd like for you to do, pick up one of these with that friend that you have in your mind right now and just carry that. Say, friend, we got these days. I'd like to share that with you. Will you do that? Simple, isn't it? Will you do it, please? Two of you will do it. Let's, let's, let's do this. I'm going to go one, two, three, and then you're going to go, yes! Okay, ready? One, two, three. Yes! Okay, thank you so much for participating in this. I also want to make a plea uh, that has to do with souls. Uh, I didn't do a very good job. Uh, a dear brother, uh, Chris Beard, has asked uh, a plea and a request. And so uh, I want to make sure that I share that with you. Chris does a lot and he doesn't ask for much. And I don't know if you've realized this, but Chris goes every service and brings precious souls into this building. Uh, and he does that without any uh, ask. He doesn't ask for anything in return for that. And those souls have grown in number. And they are in our Bible classes and they're in our kids sing. And that is a wonderful thing. And he's asked for some help tonight in this large crowd that we have. He's asked for some folks to take two or three of those precious souls who have filled that bus up now and help uh, supervise them during this large crowd and meal so that uh, they're cared for. And that's not much. Uh, so see Chris and help him with that. My wife and I are going to take a row full of those, aren't we? Anybody else need to make any announcements? Good morning. There was 889 here this morning. They will be tonight. <laughs> so bring the food. 3.39 this morning in worship. Please remember Frankie Sarton in prayer. She's the sister-in-law to Margaret Ann Sanders and member at the Zion Dress. 
church. She is in serious condition in the Tupelo Hospital this morning, and she's going under a critical procedure this afternoon. Everybody knows uh, Frankie Sarton. And then on the bulletin, the bulletin, the program in front of you, uh, look at it. There's announcements on the back. And, of course, the Northeast night tonight. If you will, after the closing prayer, I remember. After the closing prayer, please remain seated for just a moment. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day and all the blessings you give us. We thank you for uh, allowing us to be here this morning. Please help us to be the best Christian we can be. Go with Chris Parsons, go with his family, go with Martha Eaton, go with the Rotans, go with each and every one that is listed in the bulletin. They need our prayers. They need you at this time in their life. Forgive us when we sin against thee. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <laughs> 